Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. We're back with the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Matt Hayes, and I'm here with my colleague, Marissa Milbury. Hey, Matt. And today we have Abby Miller-Levy of Primetime Partners. How are you doing, Abby? Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, of course. We're really excited to, to dive deep in your background and get some of your perspectives. As some of our viewers know, we're talking about the entrepreneurial side of VC in this season. And so, you know, to kick it, kick it off, what we'd love to do is just dive in. And, and Abby, how about you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got to venture capital? Great. Um, so I got to venture capital in some ways as a last resort. Um, and I say that because I'm an entrepreneur myself. I'm a marketer by training. I started my career post McKinsey, post MBA at a company called Oxo International, best known for the Good Grips brand of carrot peelers and salad spinners. And so I started in product, always around consumer insights and developing great products. And I found myself through my career gradually making a shift into health and wellness which was, I would say, at its pinnacle by being the founding president of a business called Thrive Global with Ariana Huffington. Thrive Global offers employers and their employees productivity and wellness solutions. And after that experience of being a co-founder, I went over to SoulCycle, where I was responsible for products outside of the studio, namely our at-home bike or Peloton killer at the time. And so I've always really had this real desire to, to go deep into health and wellness and how it can impact people. At the same time, on a personal trajectory, um, my father was retired, not so willingly, as many people are not are unwillingly retired, and had spent about 20 years post-retirement, not really employing all the skills and abilities he had. And so it started me on, on something called Project Dad. And Project Dad was to say, you know, how does someone in their 60s, 70s, my dad's now very healthy, 85, but uh, what is the role for older adults in our society? How can they be productive? How can they contribute? And to be honest, I was pretty disappointed by the lack of infrastructure that exists to have meaningful, productive experiences as an older adult in our country. And so that's what really started me with this concept for prime time. I started writing business plans for businesses that targeted older adults as their own consumer segment and got excited about all the white space that existed for this audience. And as I started writing more business plans, I wish I could remember which friend said it to me, but someone said to me, instead of starting a single operating company, Abby, why don't you start an investment platform that invests in dozens of entrepreneurs to design businesses for older adults? And so that's how I, I say I'm kind of a reluctant venture capitalist, not reluctant, but by 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 backstop, because the actual best entrepreneurial business to start in this space was a venture capital firm. And so with that, in the fall of 2019, I was telling a friend of mine, my classmate from business school, a guy named John Patrickoff, I said to him, I'm going to start a venture fund focused on older adults and aging, really consumer, fo- not, not consumer businesses, but human centric to the needs of this audience. And he paused and put down his fork and said, oh my gosh, that's what my dad wants to do. In fact, I think he used a different adjective than gosh or adverb than gosh. So Alan Patrickoff is my partner. For those of you who are listening who have not heard of Alan Patrickoff, he is often quoted as the grandfather of venture capital. He started Apex Partners, which is now a you know 
global multi tens of billions of dollars PE fund. And he left all of that to start Graycroft with Dan and Ian, Dana and Ian. And so Graycroft is now, you know, several billion dollars into their trajectory. And Alan and I had known each other through our involvement in Thrive Global. He was also an investor and we were on the board together. And he had decided in his next act, his third uh, entrepreneurial venture, he wanted to start a venture fund focused on aging. So that is the backstory to how I became a venture capitalist. That is really cool. And um, I'm sure most people have have heard of him and, and his success within the industry. So now it's time to start a venture fund. You you connect with with Alan and what's you know what was your next step from there so how did you how did you navigate the waters once it was go time great question i think my approach to things is always to try to be to to learn as much as i can maybe it's the kind of mckinsey training i got post college but what i did prior to meeting up with alan is I kind of immersed myself in the community. I taught classes at the 92nd Street Y to seniors. I joined boards of nonprofits that serve seniors. I read every research report. I started networking with people. And along the way, met the then CEO of Welltower, one of the largest senior living REITs in the country, a gentleman by the name of Tom DeRosa, who was really revolutionizing um, how to think about senior housing. And so Welltower came in as a strategic partner from the get-go. And I think that was an a learning for me, just as I think about, you know, I have friends starting venture funds and, you know, I really believe that the more strategic capital that you can put in your LP base, it's really about getting you smart and making sure you're the expert in the space. And that flow of information and insights is, is critical. Um, so I think that would be one thing that really gave me the acceleration to go to market was, Okay, we we have an industry insider who you know is is helping us make sure we're staying on point to what the in, to what this segment needs. Now, of course, no one could have predicted COVID, so uh-huh. to be launching a venture fund focused on older adults was in some ways very fortuitous. We we went to market, Alan and myself, in March of 2020. Something else happened in March of 2020, which is you know the U.S. shut down, and we gave our we kind of paused for about a week. And then on Zoom, we looked at each other and said, actually, this is the best time to launch a venture fund focused on older adults and aging because there is a microscope on this audience right now, or rather an entire you know, country focusing on the narrative of what happens to you know, an aging population. And so it was with that that we began fundraising largely through friends and family, some strategics, but as a first-time fund manager, being me, I'm the, I'm the fund manager, I'm the managing director. Um, and that the thought was to just really focus on people who got it. And it was a very simple strategy. We went out and we spoke to high net worth individuals and family offices and some strategics who just understood that this is, a, you know, 25% of our population is going to be age 60 plus. And there are very few products, services, and experiences designed for them. And their needs span across healthcare, fintech, prop tech, consumer tech. It's a quite a wide aperture to invest in from a, from a pre-seed, seed, and series A perspective. So that's what we did. We just said, we're going to give ourselves three months to raise the money. We started officially in May fundraising. Um, we had a first close in July of $30 million and a final close in October of 50. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about 
you know, the surprise of starting a fund right at the beginning of COVID. Were there any other surprising aspects, things that you weren't expecting around fundraising or getting the fund off the ground, the timing? What else was sort of surprising? Well, first of all, I I think the efficiency of Zoom was surprising. And I think we all feel that, that actually business accelerated didn't slow down because you were unfortunately able to work all the time, which which we did. You know, there was, there was Zoom's day and then Zoom's day again and, you know, et cetera. But also that people were willing to allocate capital and willing to take risks because in some ways, Zoom is actually quite a personal interaction. You know, you're in someone's home. They could see my three kids running around asking me about, you know, their math homework. I mean, it was actually a really great way to get to know somebody. So I think one surprise was how efficient and effective Zoom was or has been. And, and as we look to raise fund two and Q2 of this year, I'm actually quite looking forward to most of it being on Zoom again. I think it's it's very effective. So that was one surprise. I think a second surprise was just how it feels to be rejected. And I had a lot of friends who have raised funds who, I guess one of them gave me this advice. They said, you know, assume you're going to get rejected hard four out of 10 times. And then three out of the other 10 times, so up to 70%, another three will say yes to your face, but then reject you after the fact. And I kind of laughed at him and said, oh, that's kind of funny. But for someone who's been super successful in your life, you you don't get rejected all that often. And so I do think that that was something that wasn't a surprise. I knew the statistics of of a first-time venture capital fund going out to raise money. And we had a very easy time of it, raising 50 million bucks in a short amount of time. But I do think the emotional reaction to being told no is still takes, you know, some getting used to. I, I want to push into that a little bit because, you know, as we as we discuss kind of like the parallels between starting a venture fund and then, you know, looking onto the other side where you're funding entrepreneurs to start their companies, you know, I think a, a lot of folks forget that VCs have to raise money similar to how startup founders do. Uh, and in yeah. a lot of cases, you don't need just one lead investor, you kind of need multiple. So can you talk a little bit about that and and how you can kind of you know, do you feel like it it helped you as you empathize with founders having had to go out there and, and raise capital and then kind of turn to the other side and, and fund those founders and, and kind of like as they're going through fundraises and maybe raising series A's and B rounds? Do you think it's helped from, you know, that perspective? Yes. I mean, I, I think it helped that I had been a founder and raised money before so that I understood where the balance of power was, you know, that's one of the things that's hard. I think as a founder is that you, you love your baby. I mean, your, your business or your, in this case, prime time is, you know, is, is your life's work. And you would think everyone would want to be a part of it. And so, you know, when I, when Ariana and I went to fundraise for Thrive Global, I think we equally felt that way as well. So I think that the emotional side of it, I have been able to connect with founders a lot on, and, and I've actually heard Alan once said to me, he said, Abby, you write the nicest rejection emails. And I said, well, I mean, he's like, you're always so helpful to the companies we say you, the primetime says no to. And I just said, because they're putting themselves out there. Always take the meeting, always be helpful because, yeah. you know, it's the right, A, it's the right thing to be do and B, it's good karma. And it's kind of how I just believe that this is a very personal process. It's not business as usual. This is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it is personal. So I think that's one thing I took away from it. I think the second thing I took away from it is don't discredit anybody's questions or criticism. I think you can really learn from what people don't like or are uncertain about. 
And so I think it's really easy to say, oh, they just don't get it or, you know, you know, screw them or whatever else it is. But actually in the critiques is, I think, what, where you can learn the most. And I felt that way when I fundraised in the past and, and I still feel like it, it, it raises your game to get that criticism and feedback. Absolutely. So who has been kind of like in the past as, as you've you know, built companies and you've built a fund, you know, who has been kind of particularly like inspiring or influential during that time and, and throughout that journey? Are there a few folks that you can, you can point to, or is there one or two in particular that you'd want to speak to? That's an interesting question. So I'm the youngest in my family of eight grandkids and three kids. And so I've always been the one to kind of watch and observe and learn from others. And so I think in starting a new, certainly an early stage fund, I I spoke with, you know, Founders Fund and B Capital and, you know, a bunch of of early stage funds that I admired to understand just from from a setting up a fund and do's and don'ts talked to a lot of growth funds as well. And, you know, have been fortunate to be married to a growth investor for 20 years. So, you know, that that was always in and around my space. But I would say that Alan has been super influential in terms of taking a long, a longer view. You know, the one thing that's different about being founding, you know, being in, in having a portfolio versus one entrepreneurial venture is that statistically, some of them are going to lose or die. And imagine being an entrepreneur and saying, Hey, my business isn't going to make it. You know, you don't go, you don't start a business with that attitude, but you start in venture capital with understanding, you know, statistically speaking, that some portion, hopefully very few in your portfolio will not be successful. And that's really hard to do, to, to, to roll with it. So Alan's been very helpful in, I would say, portfolio perspective, not portfolio management, but portfolio perspective. So that's one piece of, of second Ariana Huffington, who I worked with for many years. She uh, has been so inspirational, influential to me. And one of the things that I really learned from her is crafting the narrative. Um, and I don't mean that, you know, in a disingenuous way, but you know, having something to say and saying it again and again and again. And so, you know, I really stand on my bully pulpit here at primetime and just grab my megaphone and say, we need to be designing more businesses for our aging population. And I will shout it from every rooftop and then encouraging all types of entrepreneurs to get into this industry and business because it's a, you can make a lot of money and there's a lot of white space, but B, we, we we're just a huge gap in our society and 50% of Americans are going to run out of money and no one's dealing with it or talking about it. And there's only 2 million senior living beds in our country. How are people going to age in place? You know, and there's just tons and tons of, of macro issues that entrepreneurs can help solve. So I think that would be another kind of influencer for me is really on thought leadership, certainly and the role that venture can and should play in thought leadership. Yeah, it is really crazy. I mean, I feel like there's so much white space in the area that you're pursuing. You know, we, we've obviously looked at some opportunities together, but it, it is, I mean, it, it is kind of just crazy when you think deeply about some of these challenges that folks are going to face as they age into the population. I mean, I don't mean to be kind of doom and gloom, but it, it really, there are major gaps in our society that I think people assume the government or social services are going to take care of, but they're just not equipped to. And 
you know, there's a, my favorite, and, and you're welcome to take this, Matt, Marissa, but my favorite statistic is that according to the World Health Organization or WHO, that um, 50% of people born after 2007, so these are my kids, 50% of them will live to be 100. We have an entire society geared to stopping work at 55 to 60. That's the average retirement age these days. We have a financial system that sets on average in actuary tables that our 401ks retirement planning are planning for people living to be 70. We're going to live to half of our population is going to live to be a hundred. What are all the implications of that? I mean, there's tons of implications. So yes, tons of white space. I will say COVID has been, I hate to say it, an amazing thing for the sector because all of a sudden every venture capitalist and every entrepreneur has somehow become a caregiver over the past two years. They have helped grandma figure out how to do telemedicine or FaceTime chat. They have helped find housing or other things for their parents or loved ones. Somehow the the challenges facing our aging society have become deeply personal to startup land. And that is wonderful for the entire ecosystem. So many challenges in this space. I mean, those are all, those are crazy statistics. So speaking of, of challenges, both at that level, but also bringing it back to, you know, your experience running primetime, what is the largest challenge that you've faced thus far running primetime? How to allocate my time. I mean, for sure. In fact, I just did our 2022 plan for our strategic plan and our KPIs and, and all of the things that we, we want to make sure our portfolio companies do. I did it for us. and you know, toggling between portfolio and new investments and firm building. And the reason I say toggling is, you know, we're an early stage fund. And so I, I tell our founders, and I believe it, we work for them. You know, that's, that's our job in the first couple of years when we're, you know, playing a much more active role on their cap table. And maybe it's because I'm a former consultant for many years or, you know, because I was a founder, but I, I really believe if we can be making intros and helping line edit marketing materials so it resonates and connecting them with each other so they can learn from one another, all of that portfolio management, in fact, we're starting to track it to make sure we're we're going above and beyond, is not just, and I'm putting in air quotes, value add. Like That's not about value add. That's just our job. So I think the challenge that we face is how to not spend all of our time on portfolio management, <laughs> and then how to get faster at evaluating businesses. We looked at 800 companies in, in 2021. And some would say that's a lot. Some that's, would say it was few. I mean, at the time, we're a team of three. We're now four. But how we get better at making decisions faster. And you guys, I'm sure know this. You just fall in love with a founder. You fall in love with an idea. And it's hard to let it go if it's just not a good investment. So I think that the ch- I would say the second challenge is getting faster at decision making and saying no faster. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people in venture and the industry in general talks a lot about the power law, but I think what people don't realize is that actually implementing the power law dynamics when you're managing a fund, when you're dealing with real people and you're dealing with people who are trying to build businesses is incredibly challenging because how can you, you know, look at a founder and say 
sorry, you know, we're, we're not interested in continuing to support you as, as a business. And that's really, really hard to do, you know, with, with additional capital, at least you'll obviously always be there from an emotional and a strategic standpoint. But as you, you know, you have a finite amount of capital and you need to allocate that appropriately. So that's just, that's just a really, you know, it's been, it's a big challenge and it's, it's really hard. And it's easy to say, oh, the venture's a power law business. But when you bring that back to the human level, it's very hard to implement that and to invest behind that theme and kind of overarching view that, that venture is. I agree with that. And I think another piece that is just an obvious challenge of right now is that valuations are sky high. Um, and my partner, Alan, who's been at this for 50 years, he, he just gets whiplash. He's like, I, I, I don't understand it. They haven't launched yet. And they're asking for a $50 million pre-money valuation. Like they don't have a product. And, you know, so, so I think that is obviously something that is, um, you have to stick to your knitting on what, how you want to navigate that, but it's still every once in a while, you know, makes me chuckle. Yeah. I think all of us have conversations once in a while where we'll, you know, we'll be on a call with a founder and you'll, you'll kind of have that view internally where I, I call it like default. Yes. Where you're, you're really excited about what they're doing. And you ask, Hey, can you tell me a little about the round? And to your point, it's, you know, a founder, you know, a co-founder and, and really nothing besides a vision. And, and you get a little bit struck by the valuation that's thrown out. And I think it's just, you know, part of the job. It's, it's pretty funny and, and definitely humbling when you're, you know, excited to eager to invest. And then you hear the valuation and you're like, oh man, that's tough. So it's, it's definitely a challenge and it's really interesting. But Abby, this has been so great. You know, we so appreciate your time and, and your views are awesome. We really like what Primetime is doing. And so we just so appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing um, you know, your views with us. That's great. I look forward to doing more deals together. Um, you know, it's uh, I think once you get into the age tech space and you start to really understand the distribution opportunities, it, it, I think people get really excited. So if anyone's listening, interested in the space, please feel free to reach out Abby at primetimepartners.com and, you know, love to work together. And if anyone would like to learn more about the Uncovered podcast, you can go to pjc.bc forward slash podcast. If you have any recommendations for folks that you know we should connect with in the future or themes that we should push forward in our future seasons, we would love to hear from you. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered podcast, visit us at www.pjc.bc or email us at podcasts at pjc.vc.